Thank you for listening to New Hope Chapel's podcast. Pastored by Reverend Gary Dereshinsky, New Hope Chapel is located in Arnold, Maryland. You can find us on the web at www.newhopechapel.org. Now here's Pastor Gary Dereshinsky with today's message. As you know, uh, I'm from Jersey, and we have a tendency to, you know, when we speak, it's like, what do you say, what do you say, what do you say? You know, it just keeps going. And I forgot to take my blood pressure medicine this morning. So that will help quicken the pace. So if any of you, if any of you are, like, concerned about a game or, you know, Rick or, uh, you know, whoever, know that this should be probably pretty short. But, <clears throat> but, but I'm, I'm going to try to be nice and be conscious of that. But if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. I want to turn to this passage with you because as I think about God's word, I'm reminded that last words are some of the most poignant, some of the most powerful, and sometimes some of the most important and significant found in the Bible. When you consider Jesus' words, they really focus on two issues, and that is tell people about me. Right? He says, go into all the world and proclaim the good news, and I will be with you even unto the end of the age. In the book of Acts, when we read his last words, he says, you are to be my witnesses, beginning in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And so Jesus' concern, his last words, focus on making me known to others. When you read in the Old Testament, for example, you'll read the last words of some important individuals like Jacob, who blesses his 12 sons. Those are essentially his last words. Or Joshua's last words to the people of Israel who have now settled the land. Choose you this day whom you will serve. That's Joshua's burning concern. When Moses gives his last words, and they are many, it's the book of Deuteronomy, he basically tells the Second generation, do not fall prey to sin like the first generation that came out of Egypt and have died out in the wilderness over the course of these 40 years. He's concerned that they'll enter the promised land in faith and experience all of God's blessings. And when you look at Paul's last words to the church at Ephesus in the book of uh, Acts, he meets with the elders. He says, the last time I'm going to see you. He served in that church for somewhere around three years or so. And so it was one of the longest stays of his entire ministry. And when he met with them, they kneeled on the beach and they cried and they prayed. And he said, you will not see me any longer. But his main concern was that they would be faithful to God's word. Because there will be people, false teachers, that are going to creep into your fellowship. And you need to be on guard. And you need to make sure that the word of God is clearly presented to your people. Last words are important things. And fortunately for me, I have three or four more weeks with you guys. And so I get a series of last words. So I've been trying to think, what do I want to leave with you guys as Mary Lou and I head out cross country on our journey to the land of <laughs> well, you fill in the blanks. <laughs> the land of, of California is where we're headed. And, and listen, you know, this is a dramatic, dramatic transition in our lives in many ways. California, the more I think about it, I think, you know, this just is not me. You know, I mean, it is so foreign to what 
my culture and my style, you know, is about. Um, but the people in this congregation that we're going to serve, most of them are all Jewish transplants. So there'll be some that I'll be able to identify with. But uh, in any case, uh, it's a, uh, a, a new thing for us. And uh, being back working among predominantly Jewish people, this is going to be a major challenge. Don't think that we are doing this lightly or that this was a decision made overnight. This is something that evolved over a year or more. And, um, but we feel that God has called and that he has spoken. And so we need to respond and we need to, to go where he is, where he is leading. Uh, as I shared in the past, it has really not much to do with what has transpired here in Maryland, whether it's the seminary I teach at or whether it's the school I've taught, I teach at or whether it's the church here that I've pastored for 18 years. Um, there's nothing about any one of these ministries that I couldn't keep doing and wouldn't find joy and delight in. It's simply that God has spoken, and there's a need, and we feel that this is where God has uh, for us to serve at this time. We're trying to be faithful unto him, and uh, we believe we are in what we're doing. So we do need your prayers. But I draw us to this passage because there are three verbs, you might, I guess, three commands, imperatives, but three verbs that are found in this passage that, uh, in chapter 11, verse 30, that the statements focus around. The statements that Jesus make are centered around. They are come, learn, and rest. Those are three things that he wants to ensure that the disciples hear him out on. Come, Learn and rest. So take a look at this with me. Verse 28, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Just a few verses, but you know, these verses, some have said, are some of the most important words Jesus has recorded anywhere in the New Testament. And uh, not only are they most important, but I think they're some of the most beautifully written words or spoken words that anyone has ever said as well. Now, let's just think about this, and I'd like to apply it to where you guys are at and going to be at, because you're in a journey just like Mary Lou and I are. We're seeking God's will, and we're attempting to follow him, and we're going to serve him in another congregation, in another state, some might say another country, but we're headed in a, in a new direction. And you guys are on a journey as well. It may not be geographical, but it is a journey, no doubt, and you will experience this as such. There will be many pitfalls, many struggles, many dilemmas, and there's going to be the temptation to say, man, this is too hard. That is going to happen. There's also going to be times of great elation, times when God is going to, hey, he's really answered prayer as you're searching for a new shepherd to shepherd the flock that is here, an under-shepherd to serve under the good shepherd. And the good shepherd cares for his sheep. And these, uh, you, are his sheep here, here in Arnold. He cares for his sheep, and he loves his sheep, and he will provide for his sheep as a good shepherd always provides for uh, his flock. And when I sensed that the Lord was leading us out, I also had that sense that God is going to provide. 
Just as the former pastor who planted this body, God had someone in store. And it came at a very strange uh, experience for them. The church body that was present, and by the way, when I think of that church body that was present under the first pastor, the, the only ones that are here from that time back in the late 80s is Bill and Bev. And they're the only ones that are here from that very found, founding of this body. When he resigned, the people who were uh, still in the church, they wondered, who is God going to bring and for what purpose? And they had gone through a pastoral search process and they had selected an individual that they wanted to come and pastor this body. And just before they made the call to that individual to say to him, we would like you to come and candidate, the district pastor had passed my resume to this pastoral search committee. They debated, I don't know how long, but they discussed, man, it's a better term, they discussed whether they ought to open the envelope and even look at it. Because they had already come to a decision they believed God had led them to come to. But then someone said, look, it can't hurt to just read it. And so, little did they know. You know. <laughs> but they opened the envelope. And bing, you know, out popped my application and resume to the body. They looked at it they said, I think this is who God, now all of a sudden, everything they believed about what God had brought them through was, I don't think God brought us through that far. Or they wondered. But when they looked at my resume, they said, this is the guy God is calling. Think about that. All the process, all the debating, all the applications they read, all the discussions they had, all the prayers they prayed led to an open envelope after the entire process to an individual they had no clue about during the whole process itself. And the pastor and the wife that they received was here for 18 years. And the church has become what it has become. For good or for ill, you can make the call. But here we are. And it's amazing to me to think about that. That's an incredible journey that that church went through in search of a pastor. And it has all the accoutrements that Mary Lou and I have gone through in our journey to California. Because ultimately, the journey is one thing, and that is the voice of God and the will of God. What does God want? We all have our own ideas. They had their ideas, and they felt these resume or this resume was it. But God had other ideas. And he said, no, 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 I want somebody that's Jewish here. I want somebody that's going to bring a Jewish root focus to the church. They had no clue about that, although they desired it. That may not be the case for the next shepherd here, or it might be. But we have to be open to what God desires for the body here. And that's the point that I'm just trying to make. It's a journey in which we need to connect to God and not be connected to processes or uh, our own personal desires, and dictates. We need to be open and sensitive to the voice of God as he shifts things around and moves things in new directions and to be open to him. So I'd like to take these verses and sort of apply that to the process that 
you will be going through. So I said, come, learn, and rest. And here's the first point. First of all, the Lord Jesus invites us to come to him. So on the one hand, this suggests to me, the Lord desires us. And in one sense, desires us more than we'd even desire him. He offers the invitation, come unto me. I long for you to come to me. But implicit in this invitation is also a command. It's not meant to be ignored. It's not meant to be, uh, you know, dismissed. It's sort of like that mother, you know, uh, all of our mothers at one point or another, who said to us, dinner's on the table, are you ready? Well, the answer is, no, not yet. You know, the answer is, it's an invitation, come to dinner, but the expectation is you're coming, you know? So when, when Jesus says, come unto me, it's an invitation, but he's expecting you're going to come. And so this invitation, he says, secondly, is not only his open desire for us to come and the expectation that we will come, but it's for all of us. Come unto me, all of you. All of us. Now, this, in one sense, is an invitation to salvation, right? Come unto me, so as to be saved and forgiven of our sin. That's certainly here. But it's also a call to discipleship, to be a learner. Learn of me, he says. To be a learner of me. That's what a disciple is, one who's devoted to understanding who the Lord Jesus is, and we understand that principally through the study of his word. But this is an invitation to discipleship. So I want to focus on that for a moment. God is calling you, all of you, to be engaged in this process. It is not just the process for the elders or for the pastoral search committee. It is for everyone who is connected with this body, whether members, regular attenders, visitors who are looking to be a part of what's going on here. All of our voices need to be heard so that the person who comes is the person that all of us were engaged in uh, bringing here. That means that we all need to be in prayer. We all need to be seeking together, working together, so that the burden doesn't fall on any one or any few of us but all of us are sharing together. Come unto me, all of you. And he says, who are burdened and heavy laden. This will be a burdensome process. Make no mistake about that. This is not going to be a smooth kind of thing where you just check, you know, check it out like you go to a restaurant and, you know, I'd like this, this, this. No, I'd like it cooked a little better. Could you bring it back? I mean, it's going to be a process of evaluating, of praying, of talking, of wrestling, of disagreeing and coming to some consensus. And the Lord invites us to come unto him with the burdens and challenges, all of us together, as we seek the man of God's leading. Now, I said this is also about salvation. So when he says burden and heavy ladenness, he's talking ultimately about our sin. And that's what the text in the rest of chapter 11 is about. He talks about John the Baptist's ministry, which was a back-to-God movement, a ministry calling people to repent. Repent of what? Repent of their sins. This is about the heavy burden that sin places upon us. And later in the same chapter, he says, when Jesus began to denounce the cities, he denounced those in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. 
And so the call here is to salvation, to repent of our sin, but it's a call to discipleship, deal with our sins so that God can deal bountifully with us. It has been said that those great moments of God's activity have been great moments of repentance on the part of the people. Wherever there have been great revivals, it started with the believers who were in these bodies repenting of their sin and seeking to walk faithfully before God. And when that happens, all of a sudden there are explosions of God's activity and movement. And so the Lord is, is calling us, believers now, come unto him with all of our burdens, all of us, with all of our struggles, deal with the sin that's in our life to repent of it, to confess it before him so that we are in effect cleansed and ready to move on in what God has in store for us. Perhaps the first movement here in this body is about a call of ourselves to be deeply committed to him. No, I didn't say the church, to him. Because when we're deeply committed to him, we will be deeply committed to his church. Why? Because the church is his body. He is the head. We are the members. And so a deep sense of commitment to the body begins with a deep sense of commitment to Christ. And the reason why people bail and leave is precisely that. It's oftentimes, I'm not saying every time people leave a church, it's a bad thing to do. But oftentimes, where churches are faithfully preaching the word, the people are, the leadership is walking with God, none of the leaders in any church are perfect, but oftentimes, the reason is a lack of commitment to him, which leads to a commitment to his body, which he loves because he has purchased it with his own blood the scripture says. I remember when we were young believers in a church in New Jersey, the watchword was, grow where you're planted. That was the whole thing because people always were looking, oh, there's a better worship team over here. There's a better band over there. There's a better Bible study here. There's a better preacher here. Nobody had it all. But we go through phases and we say we need a good preacher, so we go to find that. You know, I've had a lot of good preachers. I'm tired of that. I need a place where there's great singing and music and worship. And then we go to that and we say, you know, there's something lacking here. I really need a place where there's community and a caring body of people that I can make friends with. And then we make some friends and we find, you know, I need, and it goes on and on. And so I remember the scripture, or we used to say, Grow where you're planted. If God has brought you here, he's brought you here for a purpose. That's part of his journey for you. And this process, though trying at times, will transform you and make you a deeper and more faithful and a more persevering kind of individual and also a more rejoicing individual as you see God answer prayers and make provision. So the first thing I want to suggest is we come to him as a body. We seek him, both personally in terms of our commitment to discipleship to him, and corporately as we come, all of us, who are heavy burdened and laden. Second thing he says is to learn of me. Now, when Jesus says, follow me, he likens himself to a path. 
that we're to walk on. And that's why in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, he talks about uh, following a narrow path and not a broad path that leads to destruction. When he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, when he says, I am the way, he's liking himself to a path that we are to walk down to make it to the destination. When he says, you are to learn from me, He's likening himself to being a teacher that we gain instruction from. Now, what's really neat about this passage, when he says, learn of me, the Greek preposition of, translated of in some translations, in others, from. I think New International may say, learn from me. I think King James says, learn of me. Brad can check that out. He's got the iPad and he's ready to go. So it... The Greek word apo can be translated both ways and in other ways as well. But I think that perhaps Matthew wants us to think of all of the above. Because on the one hand, we are to learn, we come unto Jesus, and we are secondly to learn from him. So that means that he's our ultimate teacher. And how does he teach us? He teaches us, according to John chapter 14 and 16, where Jesus is in the uh, providing Um, the upper room discourse oftentimes referred to as when he celebrates Passover with his disciples and it's a time of instruction, he tells them that when he goes, he's going to send the Spirit of God who will teach them all things, who will guide them into all truth. He says, and will bring to remembrance the things I have taught you. So the things that these disciples would be reminded of are the things they've written down for us in Scripture. They've been reminded, they've written it down, and now we all can be instructed by Jesus' Jesus's own words as they appear in the Word of God. So it's by His Spirit. Now, the Spirit of God does two things here. Number one, He's reminded the disciples and guided them in the writing down of the teachings of the Lord Jesus. But secondly, it doesn't end there. He enters into our life and he enlightens us with respect to what they wrote. So from beginning to end, it's a work of the Holy Spirit. Number one, to communicate to us the words of Jesus. And number two, to help us understand them. So when Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. He says, learn from me. I'm going to teach you and to guide you. But then he also says, we can learn of him. Ultimately, our lesson is Jesus. We're to learn him. You know, in Sunday school class, when you ask questions to any kids, and they always say, Jesus. How many disciples were they? Jesus. You know. I mean, that's what Justin used to do in seventh grade. When I raised the question, Jesus. You know. Say, yes, Jesus can always be the answer. That's true. But not here. That's not the answer. No, Justin never did that. Well, maybe he did. But the point is, we are to learn him. That's what Jesus is going to teach you through this process. We think he's going to bring to us a shepherd. Jesus is saying, the shepherd's not a problem. I already got him picked out. What you are to learn is me through the process. And one of the great books of the evangelical community written in the 60s, 70s by J.I. Packer is Knowing God. And that book, if you've never read it, you should. 
because it's all about how one goes about knowing him and what God is all about in our lives. Ultimately, to know him who is life everlasting. And so on the one hand, the curriculum is not all that difficult. It's Jesus. It's one thing. You don't have to learn spelling. You know, if you didn't do well on that, that's not the, that's not the course that we're studying. We're studying Jesus. That's enough, I understand. But Jesus is what we focus on. And that's what he wants us to learn. He wants us to learn him, how he operates, who he is, how trustworthy he can be, and how wise he is in leading us and energizing us and enabling us to do his work of ministry. So on the one hand, we're invited to come. On the second hand, we are invited to learn. And we are to learn of him. Now he tells us how we are to learn him. We are to learn him by taking his yoke upon us. Not exactly the most comforting phrase, but we'll come back to that in a minute. But the idea of taking a yoke, right? A yoke is usually put on an animal like an oxen or a horse. And it is used to do some work on a farm or to pull a cart or something of that sort. So it doesn't have that, you know, inviting sort of imagery. Take my yoke upon you. But what does a yoke signify if we are to learn? Because learning is a cooperative venture. You know, you can be the best teacher in the world, but if you don't have students who want to learn from you, it doesn't matter how well you teach because they're not interested in learning. And so as a teacher for 17 years, I didn't have a lot of those. But there were those individuals who come through from time to time, no matter what you do, no matter how often you sit with them and encourage them and talk to them, they're just not interested. And they're not engaged. They may not be interested for a number of reasons. That's a whole other story. But when you have them in front of you and they're not connecting, not interacting, it may not necessarily be because the teacher isn't a good teacher. It may be because the student is just not interested in learning. When Jesus invites us to learn, that means we have to respond with a sense of, I'm ready and eager to learn what you have from me. The yoke is an imagery of that. It suggests a few things. Consider this. Number one, a yoke suggests submission to the one who is guiding. So when we put a yoke on an oxen, he is now submitted to the driver, and where the driver pulls that yoke, that guy's going. And if he's pulled up on it, he's stopping. If he's snapped at, he's going. In other words, he is to be submissive to the one that is leading that, uh, the, the animal or animals. So there's a sense of which we need to come before the Lord and say, Lord, I am submitted. I'm dedicated. I'm looking to you to guide me because I want to be responsive. A second thing that it suggests is a yoke is placed on an animal not merely to cause them to submit, but to work. They're expected to produce something. That doesn't mean we work for our salvation, but it is interesting how often Jesus talks of parables about working. Let me just share one. You remember when he talks about the individual that's given talents. And so you have, for example, three individuals are given ten talents. They're to go and do what with it? Invest it. Work with it to produce more. Some produced ten, some produced five, but then there was one that did not work. 
did not contribute. What did he do? He just buried it in the sand. And then when the master came home, he just said, well, here's what you gave me. And he was derailed and spoken against because he did not work with that which was entrusted to him. doesn't mean you have to work hard. doesn't mean that you have to produce greatly. One produced tenfold, the other five. God doesn't care how much comes out of your work. What he cares about is that you're willing to work and willing to serve and willing to put your faith into action. That's what Mary Lou and I are doing in going to California. This is hard for us. This is challenging. didn't come easy. But we're willing to endure the challenges we are about to face. I haven't been in Jewish ministry for 18 years now. It's going to be a whole new thing. Somebody was saying to me, you ready to do the blessings? Gee, what are those? (laughs) I mean, you know, I've got to, like, uh, reconnect with all of that stuff. And it's going to be difficult. You know, it's going to be a challenge. And, you know, it's not all going to go smoothly. Same thing here. This is going to be a challenge. But we have to put our hands to the job and devote ourselves to taking the talents God has given to us and get 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1 out of them. It is not for us to bury what God's entrusted to us and not be utilized. There's no one sits on the sideline. Everyone's got to get involved in making the investment for the glory of God. If you want to learn, that's how you learn. You don't learn by watching others serve. You don't learn by merely receiving what others have to give. You learn by getting engaged with the yoke of service and doing your best to trust God to produce that one or that tenfold. But you'll produce because God's Spirit will enable us to. So on the one hand, he says, learn of me by taking a yoke. It suggests submission, but it also suggests work, but it also suggests one other thing. He says, take my yoke upon you. That's a funny expression because it would be taken two ways. It could be, here's my yoke, now you take it, you know. Uh, we would say, okay, but I don't know if I can hold that yoke. On the other hand, it could be Jesus has the yoke on him, and he says, take my yoke and join me, because most of the times you got two oxen, right, that are going, two horses, and it could be, take the yoke I have and place it on your neck with me, and you will learn of me together. But you've got to put the yoke on. You've got to walk with the Lord And you've got to serve with him as he enables us to serve if you want to learn of him and want to learn from him. We all know this, right? All of us have been in school. And you know that unless we work with the teacher, unless some of us do the extra work and come after school and get the info, we're in trouble. Similar sort of thing happening here. So we need to submit to him. We need to work and work hard for his glory. And we need to do this together with him and with one another. Let me say one last thing. He invites us to come. He invites us to learn. But here's the other thing. He invites us to rest. 
Didn't you hate those teachers that you went into their classroom, they say, no one's going to get out of this alive. I'm going to see you all next year. Good luck. You know, this is the hardest class you've ever taken. And, well, what can I say? Let's start. You know, it's like, yikes, what I get into? But Jesus says something else. He says, it's not easy, but my yoke is easy, my burden is light. So on the one hand, the yoke that he gives us is not a heavy thing that we can't carry. It may look heavy, like, look at that thing. But then when it's joined to us with him, it's like, hey, it's okay. You know, let's go. Where are we headed? And we find that this thing is really light and it really is easy. doesn't mean we don't pull our hair out now and again, why is he going that way? Come on this way, you know. But he says, by the work of God's spirit in our lives, we will be able to carry this thing. But you will never know that unless you take his yoke. It's all about this responding thing, you know. You'll never learn that it's easy and light until you take it and then find, I really can do this thing. I was just looking over seeing Bud, and I always think of his carpentry where he says, I can't, I don't know how he does this. How do you cut a board straight? you know, so that it fits. Well, he was putting in some floors, and he said, look, if I can help save some money, time, energy, all that, if you'll tear up the floors. And I'm thinking, tear up the floors? You know, how does this happen? And he said, look, just take the crowbar, put it under there, pull it up, you know, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to try this. Well, Mary Lou went out when I started, and I'm, and I'm cranking on this crank, and she came home a few hours later, it was all done. And I said, why did I pay him for it? You know, <laughs> I said, I can do this, you know, yay. You know, what's the next thing? A hammer. You know, what can I do with that? You know? But the point is, once you get into it, you begin to realize, you know, this isn't really as complicated as it appears. You got the right tools, you got the experience, you got someone to take you down the road. All of a sudden, you're building houses. Same thing with following the Lord. Stay on the sideline, it looks hard, looks tough. How are these guys doing it? You get in the game, the Lord's alongside you, others are with you, you look down the road and say, wow, we really moved the ball up the field a lot further than I thought we'd ever get that thing to move. But you've got to do it in order to see how easy and light this thing is. And then keep this in mind. Jesus says, I am humble and gentle of heart. So on the one hand, the burden, the yoke is easy, is easy and light. On the other hand, the guy leading us is gentle and humble, you know? He's not like, come on, go! You know, what's wrong with you? You know, don't stop! You know, it's like 20 hours late. Can't I get a drink? No, keep going. <laughs> but Jesus is humble, and he's gentle, and he's going to guide you in that manner. And then you will learn him in a way you haven't learned before. And here's the other thing. He guarantees you'll graduate. I mean, even us in school can't make that. He says, and you will find rest for your souls. He says, and I will give you rest. You mean I get the diploma? Yes, you will be given the diploma. You will be given rest. Now, notice that twice. And he's got all these double, doublets, right? He's gentle and humble. The, the yoke 
His burden is easy and light. And he says in this passage, the rest will be one that is given and found. I mean, it's like you can't lose. You know, it's coming your way. And so he says, this is a rest that is given and a rest that is found. When he says it's a rest that is given, he's talking about you will have a connection with me. A rest that is given. This is similar to what Paul writes in the book of Romans when he talks about peace with God. And so when he says there will be a rest given, he means to say you'll be at peace with me. You'll learn me. And you'll be forgiven of your sin in the case of salvation. And thus you'll have rest with God. And you'll have peace with God. On the other hand, he says, you will find rest for your souls. This corresponds to what Paul says in the book of Philippians when he talks about not only a peace with God, but a peace of God. When he says, pray in the peace of God that passes all understanding, both the rest of the Lord Jesus here and the peace of God, the rest that is found and the peace that is uh, of God is a sense of rest in the midst of hard the hard challenges of life. The first rest that you're given is a rest that we have with God because we're taking on the yoke, we're following him, we're learning of him. The rest that he gives, <laughs> I better look, the rest that uh, we will find, the second rest that we find, is a rest that is found in the midst of the burdens we face and carry. So if you want to experience God's peace and you want to experience the rest, means you've got to take on his yoke. And to take on his yoke means to learn of him. And to learn of him means you must first come to him. So we come to learn and to rest. And everything in between is meant for those three really keys that the Lord wants to um, share with us. Hello, everyone. This is Pastor Gary of New Hope Chapel. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. I hope it was a blessing and encouragement to you. Our church, New Hope Chapel, is located in Arnold, Maryland, just outside of Annapolis. So if you're ever visiting in our area, please come by, say hello, and visit with us. We'd love to have you. You can find out more information about our church at newhopechapel.org on the web. So we hope to see you soon. God bless.